Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Well, we are going to be looking at John chapter 1 this morning, but before we turn to John 1, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 16. And you can turn there or you can look up on the screen with me, or behind me. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 17 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? He is the Son of Man, so he's saying, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now that is a great question for us. Who do people say that Jesus is? And different people give all kinds of different answers to that question. Liberal Christians, all right, liberal so-called Christians, And they're not really Christians because they do not believe the Word of God. But liberal Christians say he was just a good man, but not God. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was an archangel, a created being that became a man. Mormons teach that Jesus was not God but just a man who became one of many gods, and that in fact he was the half-brother of Lucifer. Unitarian Universalism teaches that Jesus was not God, but he was a great man of teaching and love and justice and healing. Baha'i teaches that Jesus was a manifestation of God and a prophet, but still inferior, less than, beneath Muhammad and Buha'u'llah, their prophet. Buddhism teaches that Jesus was not God, but rather an enlightened man like the Buddha. The founder of Christian science, Mary Baker Eddy, flatly says, quote, Jesus Christ is not God. Islam teaches that Jesus was just a man and a prophet who was inferior to Muhammad. The Hindu, Mahatma Gandhi, said, quote, I cannot say that Jesus was uniquely divine. He was as much God as Krishna or Rama or Muhammad or Zoroaster. There are a lot of different answers to the question, who do people say that I am? But as different as those answers are, all of them have one thing in common, don't they? They all conclude that Jesus was just a man. 
Maybe a great man. Maybe a totally unique man. Maybe a supernatural man, somehow. But still just a man. All of those answers lower Jesus. They domesticate Jesus. They make Jesus manageable and tame and small. Even the people in Jesus' own day said exactly the same thing. Who do people say that I am, Jesus asked. What did they say? Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, those are amazing answers. They're all wrong, but they're amazing answers. Because why? All of those people are what? They're already dead. Well, that'd be kind of weird. That would be amazing. That would be supernatural. King Herod had just recently killed John the Baptist. Elijah and Jeremiah and all the other prophets have been long gone. But all of those answers still say that Jesus is, when you boil it down, just a man. Just a man. A remarkable man? Sure. Yeah. A special man? Absolutely. A good man? Oh, yes. A very good man. But God? No way. Not God. The problem with that way of thinking about Jesus is that it makes no sense. C.S. Lewis, who was a British author in the last century, a Christian man, wrote this. Very good. Listen to what he says. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing. I don't want anyone to say the foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. He says, that is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic, crazy man, on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So who is Jesus? What is Jesus? Who inhabited Mary's womb for nine months and then was born in a barn? And what difference does it make to us? Those answers are in John 1. Would you please stand with me as we read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage is one of the deepest, highest, most beautiful, and concise statements about the deity of Jesus Christ. When the Apostle John speaks of the Word, he is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. We know this beyond a shadow of of doubt because of what he says in verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is talking about the incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, becoming flesh. And the same apostle, John, writes the same kind of thing in 1 John chapter 1. So his epistle, not his gospel, but the epistle, 1 John, In chapter 1, he says this, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This is Jesus. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. This is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. And his coming in the flesh is what this season is all about. Advent, his coming. We anticipate and we contemplate what it means for the word to become flesh and dwell with us. And we must understand and believe what this passage teaches us 
or else we will have no hope for the salvation of our souls. Everything hangs on this. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And the main point of this passage is this. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. And this passage could not be any plainer. The Apostle John spells it out clearly for us. And he proves that Jesus is God with two angles. He comes at it from two directions. Number one, his nature. Number two, his works. So first, in his nature, our Lord Jesus Christ is God. We know this, first of all, because he, was etern- he has eternally e- existed. He has eternally existed. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. There was never a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. Never a time when Jesus Christ did not exist. As long as God has existed, Jesus Christ has existed. He was in the beginning, which means he was before the beginning, which means he was eternal. Of course, there are many who claim to be Christians who do not confess that truth. Many who claim to be Christians who do not claim, who deny that Jesus was eternal, is eternal. They are heretics. And they deny the eternal existence of Jesus Christ. This false teaching started a long, long time ago, and it continues down to this day. One of the first men to promote this false teaching that Jesus was not eternal was a man named Arius. Arius was an elder in the church in Alexandria, Egypt. Way back in 256, he was born. Lived from 256 to 336, a long time ago. And Arius taught about Jesus Christ, and here's a quote from him. This is what Arius wrote, quote, God begat him, and before he was begotten, he did not exist. So Arius taught that Jesus Christ is not eternal, that Jesus Christ is not divine at all. He was created. Arius said, quote, if the Father begat the Son, he must be older than the Son. And there was a time when the Son was not. And today, this is basically exactly what the Jehovah Witnesses cult teaches about Jesus Christ. He is not eternal. He is a creature made by God the Father. But no, no, Scripture teaches that Jesus Christ is eternal. Contrary to Arius, contrary to the Jehovah's Witness cult, there was never a time when Jesus was not. This is what we confess together in the Nicene Creed. This is the creed that was formulated for the purpose of of denying the heresy of Arius, the Nicene Creed. We recited it together last week. We say this together. We say, 
we believe, we talk about God the Father, and then we say we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, so he's the same thing that God is, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. Not made, not created by God, not a creature. Being of one substance with the Father. Whatever the Father is, the Son is. By whom all things were made. And as a matter of fact, we just sung those words, some of them, in the hymn that we sung at the beginning, O come, all ye faithful, right? God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very God, begotten, not created. O come, let us adore him. To say that Jesus Christ was created by God is to deny the plain teaching of the Bible. Jesus Christ was not created. He is eternal. He has always been. And this passage in John chapter 1 goes further than that. So Jesus Christ is eternal. And second, he has eternally existed with God. It says the word was with God. The word, the eternally existent Lord Jesus Christ has always existed as a separate person. Distinct from God the Father. He was eternally with God. This is the great mystery of the Trinity. One God who eternally exists in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is a mystery. This is impossible for us to fully grasp and comprehend. We believe it, we can say it, our children can say it. But we will never be able to fit it squarely in our minds. And the problem is not with the doctrine of the Trinity, the problem is with our minds. How can we even imagine this? We can't. And as soon as you have figured out a way to make this truth of Scripture fit into your mind in a way that you can deal with it and handle it and grasp it fully, then in that moment, you become a heretic. All of the heretical teachings about the Godhead that have plagued the church from the beginning of the church have this one thing in common. They are all understandable. They all remove the tension. They all untie the knot. They make the Godhead easy to understand, and therefore they deny the Scriptures. And this happens all the time. This happens all the time in our day. It happens all the time right here in Bloomington. There's a very popular heresy in Bloomington that denies that God eternally exists as one God in three persons. Now, it's a popular heresy, but it's not a new one. There are no new ones. 
It goes all the way back to the 200s A.D. It was first spewed out by a man named Sibelius. And Sibelius taught in an attempt to make God fit in his mind. He taught that there is one God who appears or acts as three persons. So in other words, God sometimes appears or acts as the Father, right? Sometimes he appears or acts as the Son. Sometimes he appears or acts as the Holy Spirit. But only one at a time. This is called modalism. Modalism. Because they claim that God exists in different modes. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. The early church quickly saw that this is a heresy, and they condemned it in 262 A.D. But this is exactly what oneness Pentecostals believe and teach. And they are all over this town. They're all over this county. They're all over this part of our state. Oneness Pentecostals who deny the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. They're modalists. Two summers ago, we had a service over at the state fair, not the state fair, the Monroe County Fairground, right over here, right? We had a Sunday evening service for them. And I preached it, and after the sermon, after the service, a young man came up to me, 16, 17-year-old, very respectful, very kind, very sweet, very warm, very thankful for the sermon I'd preached. We started talking. We ended up talking for probably a half an hour. About halfway through the sermon, our, our conversation, about halfway through our conversation, he looked at me for a second, he got this puzzled look on his face, and he said, wait a minute. You believe the Trinity? And I said, of course I believe the Trinity. You mean you don't? He's a oneness Pentecostal. So I took about 15, 20 minutes and showed him that if you don't believe the Trinity, the Bible becomes this kind of mash of gobbledygook. What we like to say where I come from is, it just don't make no sense. This passage certainly doesn't make any sense. So he was a modalist, which means he was not a Christian. He was not a Christian, and I told him that. You cannot be a Christian in the biblical sense if you deny that Jesus was eternally with God the Father. So Jesus exists eternally. He exists with God eternally. And third, John makes it perfectly clear that Jesus is in fact God when he tells us that Jesus has eternally existed as God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God as the Jehovah's Witnesses falsely claim. 
but the Word was God. From eternity, from before the beginning of this world, Jesus Christ, the Word, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, is and always has been God. Whatever God is, Jesus is. Is God eternal? Then Jesus is eternal. Does God have all knowledge? Then Jesus has all knowledge. Does God have all power? Then Jesus has all power. Is God perfect in wisdom and might and holiness? Then Jesus is perfect in wisdom and might and holiness. He is exalted above the heavens. Colossians 2.9 says this, In him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Everything that God is, all the fullness of deity, everything that is God, everything that makes God God, dwells in Jesus. Now, in a body. In a body. And because he has the nature of God, he also performs the works of God. He does the kinds of things that only God can do. First of all, he created all things. Verse 3. All things came into being through him. Is that clear enough? Well, here, let him, he'll make it clearer for you, right? And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He made all things. All that we've been hearing about and learning about in Genesis, right? About the creation of the world and everything in it. All of that is about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, let there be light, and there was light. He made night and day. He shaped the oceans and the dry land. He made the plants. He made the stars and the sun and the moon. He made the fish and the birds and all the creatures that fill the earth. And Jesus Christ made you. He made you. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Who can do such a thing? God alone can do such a thing. Second, what else does he do? Well, he is the source of all life and light. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. How many of you have been tracking with this landing of the probe on the comet that happened earlier this month? Have you, all note, have you been watching this? You heard about it? Kind of a big deal. Ten years ago, the European Space Agency launched a spacecraft called Rosetta. And in the last 10 years, for the last 10 years, this thing has been chasing a comet. And it has traveled, over the last 10 years, almost 4 billion miles. 
1.4 billion, with a B, miles chasing this comet. And the goal is to land this, this probe, this washing machine-sized machine, right, down onto this comet. And they did it. They did it, more or less. I mean, you know, better than I could have done. This comet was traveling 83,000 miles an hour. You know what it cost? $1.75 billion. That's an amazing thing. I mean, seriously, that's an amazing thing. It really is amazing that mankind can think of such a thing. I know. Let's shoot this thing up there and land on a comet. And then they, someone thought of it, and then they figured out a way to do it, they, they hoped, you know, and then they actually did it. It's sitting there right now, spinning around the sun. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing what mankind can do. But what was the point of that? Have you heard them say it? According to all the scientists who talk about this and all the reporters, they're, all, they're giddy. They're so excited. Because the point is to finally find the origins of life on earth. Finally, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna solve the mystery. Because as Carl Sagan said, humans are made of stardust. Some more stardust than others. But stardust, that's all. Humans are made of stardust, and comets are stardust, and we're going to find out where life came from. And so the scientists claim that the comets are a possible delivery mechanism for water on the Earth. All the oceans are just big melted comets. And the comets are the source of all the organic material that could have produced the building blocks for proteins, and possibly, could it be life? So this enterprise, this massively complicated project, to land a machine on a comet is a glorious and magnificent act of utter foolishness and rebellion against our Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. But man, Why is it rebellion against Jesus Christ? Because in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We know the origin of life on earth. It's not a comet or a protein or a molecule. It is a person. A person. Our Lord Jesus Christ. As God... He alone is the source of all life and light in this world. And third, what else does he do? He is the true revelation of God the Father. He reveals God the Father. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, 
glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, this is Jesus, he has explained him. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Who can say such a thing? Who could do such a thing? Who can truly reveal God to us? You want to know what God the Father is like? You look at Jesus Christ. You see him, you've seen God the Father. God the Father is nothing different from God the Son. You want to know what God the Father is like? You look at Jesus. Who could reveal God truly to us? Only God can. Only God can. Now this is what the Bible, this is the kind of thing the Bible says all over the place, right? Colossians chapter 1, listen. He, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. This is everywhere in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. This is everywhere in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, friends, believers, unbelievers alike, listen, Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is God. He has the nature of God. He has eternally existed as God, with God, as the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, and he does the works of God. He created all things. He gives life and light to all things. He reveals God to men. That is who Jesus is, and that is the truth. Now, what is this to us? What difference does that make? It makes all the difference. Number one, you are not your own. You are not your own. Everything in the world is owned by the one who made it. You are owned by your creator, Jesus Christ. Not just some vague God out there. You are owned by your Creator, and your Creator is, in fact, Jesus Christ. And that means you owe your allegiance to Him. 
You owe your honor to Him. You owe your obedience to Him. You owe your loyalty to Him. You owe your worship to Him. Anything less is treason against your Maker. You are not your own. Second, you are a great sinner. Because as a matter of fact, you and I have dishonored our Maker. We have dishonored Him. We have dismissed Him. We have rebelled against Him. We have disobeyed Him. We have disowned Him. We have disrespected Him. And we have let everyone else do the same. And to sin against the eternal creator of the universe is to earn eternal punishment from him. This is why hell is eternal. This is why it never ends. We have sinned against the one who is eternal. And the punishment must fit the crime. And it's a great crime. You and I are great sinners. You and I deserve eternal punishment. And so your only hope is for your Creator, the one you've offended, to become your Redeemer. That is the only way for us to be reconciled to God. But that is exactly what has happened. The Lord Christ, very God of very God, light of light, King of glory, has become flesh for you. And in that flesh, in that body, he suffered death, death on a cross. That is how great your sin is. Deserves eternal punishment. The only remedy is an eternal God dying for you. The only way to save you is for the one who gave you life to die for you. You are not your own. You're a great sinner. You have, number three, great cause for hope. Great cause for hope. The very God of creation has been made flesh and dwelt with us. This Lord, Jesus Christ, is able, because he's God, he is able, and can you believe it, willing to save you, happy to save you, eager to save you. He delights, he would be delighted to save you. That is the meaning of Advent. Hope for sinners like you and me. The great God has stooped down for us. Stooped down. And the eternal salvation of your soul depends on knowing and believing that Jesus Christ is God. 
Because there is very bad news for you if you refuse to bow to him as God. If you want to claim that he is just a good man or just a great prophet or a good moral teacher, there is very bad news for you. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 8. Just listen. He says to the people who are listening to him, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now if you look that verse up in your Bible, it's John 8, 23 and 24, you're going to see it says this, unless you believe that I am he. And that word he is in italics, which means it's not there. Okay, it's not there in the Greek. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What does that mean? What does I am mean? I am is the name of God, Jehovah, Yahweh, from the Old Testament. Jesus said so plainly, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am eternal God, unless you believe that, you will die in your sins. You must believe that in order to be saved. You must. But if you do believe in him, there's actually one more work that only God can do that John 1 tells us about. He makes all who believe in him children of God. Look at verse 11. He came to his own, and those who, were, those who were his own did not receive him. The people of Israel rejected him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because he is God, he can make you a child of God. Because he is eternal, he can give us eternal comfort, Scripture says. Because he is eternal, whoever believes in him will have eternal life, Scripture says. Because he is eternal, he alone is the source of eternal salvation, Scripture says. He has obtained for us Eternal redemption, Scripture says. Only God can do that. Do not lose hope. He made you. He can redeem you. He gave you life. He can give you eternal life. Do not turn away from him. There's nothing else. There's no one else. Cling to him. Cling to him. Hang on to him. Trust him. Do not, 
dishonor him. Do not go along with any attempt to dishonor him. Do not stand by and give any help to those who say, oh, he was a great man. Do not stand and listen when people use his name in vain. I have been guilty of that many times. He's our Lord, the God of heaven, maker of heaven and earth, source of life and light, redeemer of men. Honor him, worship him, believe him, trust him. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we we say with Thomas, who first did not believe, he doubted, But then he bowed before you, he fell on his face, and he said, My Lord and my God. And with him, Lord, we fall on our faces and say to you, Lord Jesus, our Lord and our God. I pray that we would not sentimentalize, romanticize, water down what it means for you, mighty God, to come as flesh for us men, for our salvation. Lord, we worship you. Make us all believe that you are, in fact, who you say you are. Lord God Almighty, able to save us from our sins. In your name we pray. Amen.